0: Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast, with your host, Katie Burke.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Before we get started, I'd like to give you a little context of this interview. In this interview, I am at the North American Decoy Collectors Show in Chicago. I'm interviewing Rick Sandstrom, the president of the North American Decoy Collectors Association. And at this show, for the first couple of days, there's room-to-room training amongst collector, decoy collectors and waterfowl artifact collectors, literally hotel room to hotel room, floors one through six, and then it's followed by an auctioned by Gaia and Dieter, and a two-day open showroom for the public to come and buy and collect decoys as well. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Rick Sandstrom. Hey, Rick, how are you today? I'm wonderful, thank you. Well, thanks for coming on.
2: I'm grateful to spend time with you.
1: Yeah, um, I haven't got to see you since 2019, so... Well,
2: it's, it's you know, nothing's normal these days, and we're all starting to navigate our way through this.
1: Yes, and it's I'm glad to be back, so... One thing I'd like to start with before we get into the show and the collecting association is your background. Um, when did you start collecting? Were you hunting before you were collecting? like how what's your intro into this whole world of waterfowl and decoys?
2: Well, I grew up in northern Minnesota, okay, and I place Galhoy Lakes in Grand Rapids, so I kind of grew up in the northwoods and my My dad was a pilot, so I spent a lot of time in the air. And I spent a lot of time outside, Uh, but my real first immersion into this whole world that I've been so fascinated with is, first of all, when I was up flying, I would be up in the air with the ducks and the geese. So I'm moving around in Minnesota and Ontario and different places. So I sort of was fascinated watching their flight and what they do and how they just seem to know where to go. But then... When I was twelve, that was my first opportunity to go to duck camp with Grandpa and my dad, and it was a great experience because I had to save my money from my paper out and buy a gun, and I got to be sick from school because we went went at noon on Wednesday for the opening, and so I went to duck camp and and and. It, it was sort of a tradition. My grandfather was a farmer, but he hunted to have other protein, and it was a tradition to go to duck camp. My dad had, had gone there, and so I got to go when I was 12. That, I fell in love with it in that first trip because I was outside doing a lot of things I want to do, and I saved from the hunting trip, I saved a decoy that my grandfather had carved, and I still have it. Oh,
1: so your decoy and hunting kind of yeah. were all in yeah.
2: So, so I, I, so I grew up in northern Minnesota in a small town. We were the first residents of the town as a family. So I spent a lot of time outdoors, and so you know this was it. You know, I spent time in float planes, and I spent time hunting grouse and. Out of, and of course, there's a lot of lakes in northern Minnesota, so we spent a lot of time there. And um, the place that I got introduced to is the you know Pelican Lake up by uh, Cook. And what's unique about it Is is there are celery beds and wild rice there, and the canvasbacks would come and the bluebills, and so it was you know really pretty special. But you know when you're a kid, everything's sort of new. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it was a it was grand. My grandfather's carving that attracted to me and and so that's kind of what got me started and so you know from northern minnesota i i i grew up got out of high school went to the university ended up going in the army flew helicopters moved all around the world you know but i loved to go duck hunting and so i went duck hunting in a lot of different places and i was interested to you know because i was flying and moving around the world i was interested to see them in europe to see them when we went to South America, to Mexico, different places. So they were, they were everywhere, you know. And so so I sort of have been, this has sort of been a part of my life.
1: Yeah, so this is off topic, but I was just curious. With hunting, like, overseas and different places, what would you say are, like, the significant differences in the, like, hunting ducks in those areas yeah, like, yeah, compared to yeah. what we're used to? Yeah,
2: our culture, okay, and our country – is very special about that because we grew up as our country was evolving. All this was a part of how you fed your family, where you lived. If you're on the prairie, I mean, it was all part of everybody had a gun because they were, you know, trying to make their way in the world. It's mm-hmm. not true in any other place I've ever been. So, So, you know, for us, it's a part of our culture. It's a part of who we are and how our country has evolved and developed and all of that stuff. So so in other places, like, it's a thing that royalty does and it's not necessarily available and they don't have all the, the natural resources and the capability that we have. And so it's unique.
1: Yeah.
2: And it's a part of our culture,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, and it's sort of evolved all along. And the decoys are just a part of what do I need what are the tools that I need to sort of do this? Right. And so, but it's evolved, you know, as our country has evolved and, and sort of things have evolved. And, and, you know, I, I guess the thing that I would say the most that I would think about is that we have tremendous resources in our country, more than any place else, but there's also a tremendous amount of pressure on them. And so that pressure from... The evolution of our society and how things are going creates a lot of, you know, pressure on the ducks and where they live, how they operate, they've adapted, you know, but, but, you know, so, so you know, I spend a lot of time on habitat, you know, it's really important, you know, when you look around, the ducks can't live a lot of places, and by the way, neither can people, because it, it's not all that hospitable, hospitable too, so... So when you look at it, you, you know there's this balance that you have to have, and if the ducks are doing well, we're doing well. Oh yeah, right. And so, so you're, if you pay attention to that, you can you can see when the balance is right, they thrive. They 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 they, they thrive, you know, and they but they can't live in a parking lot, right? So,
1: yeah, you mentioned a wild celery like you hunted over, well, and that's like not really we can't find it. It's not it exists anymore.
2: Yeah, and then the wild rice that we, we had up there, I mean, we I still get wild rice from the Indians. We The Indian reservation is right where we hunted, and the wild rice is still, the native wild rice is still in northern Minnesota, but it's, it's, it's all being challenged, yeah. right? And so, you know, the trick is, where is that balance? Right. Right?
1: And we're working on it every day. Yeah, you know? yeah, well, we have
2: to. <laughs> we have to. I mean, you know, the reality is that it's kind of this way, You know, I, I flew in combat and it was challenging and, you know, I love our country and our country and the world is a really special place resource wise and our culture and our people. I mean, it's a special place and we've been able to do a lot And but, but the challenge is never ending Yeah. and that you have to, you have to be thinking that you have to be a better you each day and you have to figure out how to make the environment better because if you make a better world, then you have a better life. Right, and if we can make this world for the where we can live in harmony with the ducks and all that's associated with it, then then I think we have better balance.
1: Right, and it has to have that balance, which we're seeing more and more today.
2: So, so with that, okay, yeah. Then, then, so what about this organization that I'm a part of, and what what is it all about? And so, it, it started as Midwest Decoy Group. In 1966, a bunch of people got together from around the country and they realized that if they got together, they knew more together than they knew by themselves. This is exactly what DU is thinking, Yeah. right? If we can get together and collaborate, we can do more. So they got together in 1966. It was just a a show. People got together for the weekend to say, I have these things and I'm going to show them. And they figured out really quickly that we could learn a lot from each other. Yeah. And so what what it, it was happening in Maryland was happening for a very specific purpose because it's Chesapeake Bay and there's a certain pattern there and that was different from the Illinois River and that was different from upstate New York and that was different from New Hampshire and Long Island and and the Cape. And so they figured pretty quickly that there was a lot to learn. So as an organization, we evolved into... Educational seminars, getting together once a year. We figured out that you know people could come together, and we wanted to do it in the spring because in the fall we're all busy out in the field, and we're we're we might be hunting and doing all that stuff. So in the spring was a good time. And and by the way, that's the time when the ducks are on the move. They're they're headed all up north. We see them as they come through here, and so it it seemed like a natural. And so we've sort of evolved now since 1966. We, we evolved from a Midwest focus and to be in a North American organization, we've got you know every area represented, we have members in all the states. and so we get together once a year and it's a it's a tremendous opportunity to learn. and you're learning about like this week, I've been talking to people what was the hunting season like in California and how was it for you up in North Dakota? And then what happened over in Missouri? And geez, there's snow goose hunting here. And what happened? And what happened to the canvas backs in Maryland? You know, I mean, so we're talking to all those people. And then in the end, the reason that we are focused on the carvers and the decoys is because these are the people that are interpreting our culture and our society And the really good carvers have sort of the spirit of the duck. And they create these things that become the artifacts that sort of preserve our history. And so now these things take on different forms. And some of them are very simple, but they all had a purpose of, if you go all the way back to the Plymouth and Captain Osgood, these famous geese, they they, they had a purpose in trying to help the hunter be successful in harvesting Right to to eat and have protein and you know all that sort of stuff. So it's so so it's interesting how it's evolved when we come together because people are looking at these things from different perspectives. Very quickly, you you're in an environment where you're talking to different people and you're learning different things and you're talking about different techniques. Talking about how was the weather in your area and what was the migration like this fall and. You know, what decoys did you use and how did they work? And when this guy was carving in the 1900s, why was he doing that? You know, and so, so it sort of has evolved. So, so you can see the organization is a wide range of people that are have an interest in this area. Some are interested in art. Some are interested in the carving aspect. Others are interested in the tool itself and how you use it and the techniques. Others are interested in the painting and the form. So there's a, it's an integration of a lot of part of our society, but it also, we find in our organization, it's an integration of a wide part of our culture, and it brings us together into something that's just really important, and that is we learn more from each other, and it happens really quickly. Yeah, because you're networking, you're bumping into people in the hallway, and you're saying, you know, okay, with this or that or whatever, and then you now and all of a sudden you made a connection, and now I'm in the position where no matter where I travel, there's a collector there, and I can stop and see them, and you know they're always, you know, it's a big network now, and it made the world smaller, right? So yeah. so isn't that isn't that great? And if you're if you're young and you're wondering why would I do this, I mean there's a Wide range of people. Some of them are not even working; they're retired. Some of them are carvers. The you, you do it because there's so much more awareness you get from talking to people that have a different perspective, and they're all they all have an interest in conservation, in the ducks, and the carving, and the artwork, and the, the the resources associated with it, and the history behind it, and so there's just a lot of sort of integrating our culture. And learning from each other.
1: Speaking of like being here, like the act of picking up a duck, at ego in front of some.
0: You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport, made for hardworking dogs of all ages. Every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient, and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlantSport.com.
1: Someone who has that experience with it and letting them tell you is just vital. And right. you don't get that anywhere else, really. Right. Like, right. I have a question about why do you think the Midwest Decoy Association, why is this show and this collector Association the one that grew to be, to the, like, to be... All everyone came from all over to this one. Like, why? Because there's a lot of collector's associations with this one.
2: It's really interesting in that in the Midwest, we're pretty open. We've sort of grown in an environment that is sort of rich in the habitat around that. And we've always had this hunting aspect. We have these changes of seasons and an integration of a lot of people that immigrated to this area to develop the area. and our nature is to be welcoming. Mm-hmm. And so where some organizations can become a little bit tribal and that they're very focused on a very small part, and that, that's really important, but but we seem to be always be so pretty open to all the different things that were going on because Michigan wasn't Wisconsin, it's not Minnesota, it's nothing like as You get to the farm areas in Illinois and Iowa, and then there was things that went along the Mississippi River. And so I think we had enough sort of recognition that we were different, that all these other little things just sort of fit into the puzzle. Okay. Right? Yeah.
1: So I think that's
2: kind of what happened. And then there's one other thing, and that is uh, in the Midwest, we don't have the stress that some of these other areas have of big, dense populations and a lot of the structure that comes from older areas where, that you know, they can't really evolve that much. And we don't have some of the issues that they have in some of those areas. So for us, we've always been sort of more open, mm-hmm. right, and sort of more welcoming just because, you know, we have more space. Right. And we're a little bit more uh, closer to nature and how we are. And so that just makes us different in the how we behave.
1: And I'm sure being just geographically central helps as
2: well. Like, Yeah. Well, there's another reason, and that is we have the Mississippi River and the Mississippi Flyway right in the middle of who we are. Right. And it connects us to Delta Marsh up into Canada, and all these ducks are, and geese are coming right through this area, you know, and just so it needs... And, and then in the spring, they all go someplace to, to, to winter, and then they're all coming back, you know, and so we're sort of used to sort of that, that sort of mentality. And so, you know, we're real anxious to know what was the hunt like in Louisiana this spring because, or this later, because they left here and went south. Mm-hmm. And so we get a sense for what's the population like. And then we see it coming north and in, the, in the, how it's changed the colors and all that stuff. And we're like, like in Iowa, the ducks will be there for a few weeks, and there'll be lots and lots of them. And they they can't they're ready to go north, but they can't because it's still too much snow and ice and everything. So they're sort of staged there. Okay. So it seemed to be natural to stage here in the Midwest in the spring because yeah. it because it it was comfortable.
1: Mm-hmm. I never the, thought about that. You know, I grew up, I grew up in Mississippi, and I never think about. I mean, I know this, but I didn't think about it in that sense, like. As someone who lives here, like that, they leave and then you get to have them come back. Because, like, when they come to Mississippi, they they're there and they right. they then they leave. Like, they, they don't. It's not enough time passes between from Mississippi to Louisiana and back to Mississippi. It's right, just right, yeah. Right. we have them basically for three months and then yeah. we don't have them yeah. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But I never think about it that way. Like you have.
2: So I, I think uh, you know that sort of that sort of has shaped the the uh, culture of our organization, mm-hmm. and then and then. You know, the fact that we've sort of got this Midwest hospitality and it sort of matches really well with what's going on with what we're doing and we're very close to it. I mean, we don't have to travel far to hunt. I mean, it's here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Huge,
2: yeah. It's just here. Yeah. Right. So it's sort of natural. And it was here when we were pioneers. Right. I mean, if you go back into the 1800s when this area was being developed, I mean, the ducks were here and it was part of the culture to feed your family. And I mean, it was all just sort of an extension of what you should be doing.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. So I, I think
2: that's a way to think about it, but it's a good question. And, you know, we work hard. We really do. We work hard to, to, to learn, you know, and I've lived in a lot of different places. Like I know what the migration is like out in Washington state and all those areas and Alaska and all the things. Cause I've, I've flown everywhere and, and, um, so, but, but I think that's, that's what really has shaped us. Yeah. And for Is a it... long time, we were the Midwest group, but we had people attending from all over the country. Right. And, and, and people would say, well, but it's really not the Midwest. It's much bigger than that. And we, we recognize that we said, yeah, you're right. We need to, we need to, we need to adapt, um, just like we all need to do to our environment and like the ducks have to do, you know? And so. We sort of been evolving and adapting.
1: So, um, with that change, when you come to North America, like there's all these other smaller groups. How does that change your role in supporting them? And because um, they're, you know, obviously smaller than you, but how you like? Because it almost makes you the parent, like the first stop for a lot of people coming into collecting.
2: Yeah, we need local success because that's where people live, and our our mission, you know, we say we want to discover and preserve and celebrate. But our our mission really we're we're a nonprofit, we're an educational organization. But our mission really is to is to provide the infrastructure and the framework. Our website reaches everybody. We get through all of our links to thousands of people. Our mission really is to try to raise all boats. We need everybody to be successful because not everybody can travel all over the country and not everybody wants to right but but we need to we need to we need to collaborate we need to we we help them to promote things we share ideas we try to provide staffing support you know we're really trying to you know if you will provide the umbrella, set the policy, have the framework, let our website be free flowing we're right in the middle of redoing all that because of everything that's going on and and so really our job is to is to is to provide as much knowledge and education as we can and then provide the learning so that everybody can be everything they can be right that's what we need yeah. i mean i mean that's what we need in our society yeah we need people to recognize their individual who they are what their talents are and then in order to make the world better, they need to go be everything they can be, right? Yeah. Right? Right. We yeah. need everybody in the game. We need everybody to do what they're really good at. Right. Right? And so if Potomac is really good at being focused at that and what they've learned and uh, and build that infrastructure and we all can learn from it and why that stuff was done, that's great. And up at Cape Cod, there's a little different thing that has to be learned and there's a longer history and all that sort of be, And, you know... That, that's sort of, you know, but with that in mind, this year's educational seminars are were, were chosen a few years ago, and we have very specific reasons. In the early 1900s, when these these two areas, in the, in the fish decoy area, it's, it's it's Peterson, Oscar Peterson, and the decoys, it's Elmer Crowell or Crowell, depending if you're from the Midwest or from the Cape. But there was something going on then for the in that world, and that is they were moving from market hunting and making their living hunting ducks. That was changing. There was a world war that was going on. There was a Spanish flu that was going around the world. There were a lot of forces that were reshaping things. And these carvers emerged with a lot of talent and this sort of Understanding of how to interpret the duck and the and and the environment and all that stuff, and they and they're they're noteworthy. So there's a lot to learn from that, but it also helps to think about how history is shaping, and we have to adapt. And we've got a lot of forces going on right now, like with what's happening in our world and what how COVID has impact, how we behave, and you know uh, all those sort of things are are things that we're dealing with. So taking time to focus on the lessons that's learned what these very talented people have done to interpret see in the end these artifacts that they create are what survives they are you know they've got the spirit of the duck in them or whatever it is the shorebird or the goose or whatever and they're interpreting it and they're bringing that spirit of nature and the duck into what that thing is. And it, it ends up, it ends up, you know, that the, these things end up being a big message. Right. And as you start to handle them, you begin to understand it. Oh yeah. And it helps us to be more connected to our, to nature. Cause that's where the ducks are living. Right. And to think more about the balance associated with all that.
1: Mm-hmm. And you know, it's interesting in that is like, I found the more I've done research and been and talked to people like and, and then working at DU and the problems we have in conservation and with ducks, it's cyclical. It's a lot of the problems they face, we're facing again. And it continues to kind of like go on this like wheel basically. And having these items and these artifacts around really like... Helps remind us that we've been here before, right. you know. Like right. there was the era when Crow was around, and there was it was affluent. We had ducks everywhere. But he also lived when that population dipped again, right. and you can kind of see like the changes he made yep. to do that. He did more decorative stuff, like right. you know those. Right. It, you can kind of learn, and it shows us and reminds us that like we've been here before. We can solve this again. Like, it kind of gives hope. I like to be hopeful about it. Well,
2: <laughs> yeah. I am because because when I think about my grandfather, okay, and I think about what he lived in. He lived on the farm. He worked for the railroad. He hunted in his spare time. You know, he, he went fishing. He did these things to take care of, to feed his family, okay, okay. And I think about what they lived in when he was born and, he, you know, and all that sort of stuff and how we live now. I mean, we've got a lot of challenges, but look, the lights are on, the air conditioning's working, we can feed our families. Oh, we're challenged, but not like they were, right? And then there's another thing to think about. There was a President Roosevelt, okay, who kind of, kind of, was in New York, and he had health problems. He went to South Dakota, he became president, and he really, really understood we needed to think about conservation and better balance. Yeah. And so that message was happening when all these things were going on, right? And that message is coming right back at us. Yeah. I mean, right now, right? Wake up. Wake up. Pay attention. The balance is not right. Yeah. Right? Right? what we do makes a difference oh 100% right? when i talk to uh when i talk to farmers or i talk to carvers a lot of times people say well there's no ducks and when i talk to the farmers about conservation as i do i do a lot of that because you know i i love to be out there but i say to them i say well i'm looking around your farm and didn't you used to lie, have a lot of ducks and pheasants and things and they say, yeah and i said well look around you couldn't live out there yeah you couldn't live out there so how do you think the duck is going to live out there right right and so they kind of look at it they go i said we got to figure this out i mean we got to get some filter strips we got to do some other things right you couldn't live out there the ducks can't live out there so i think we have to adapt right And so once you kind of have those conversations and, and, you know, when we're together, like this week when everybody's together, there's a lot of those conversations going about, what are we going to do so that we can, we know that this is good for us. Right. Right. We know if the ducks are doing well, our environment's doing well. Yeah. Right. Right. So how are we going to adapt, right. To help them be successful. Because if you make a better world, you have a better life.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. So, if we keep discussing that, we spend a lot of time on that stuff, you know. And of course, the carvers have a way with their talent of taking this block of wood and shaping something that brings the spirit of that into something you can see and touch and relate to. And so, I think that's where the sort of the magic all comes together. Uh, with what we do. So you get to see a lot of people with a lot of perspectives. You know, like fingerprints, we're all different. We spend a lot of time listening to each other because we can learn. The more of that we can get done, the better the solutions are, right? Right. And so that's kind of, you know, and if I talk about my leadership style, what our organization has to do, that's kind of where we're going, Right. That's kind of where we need to be. We need to keep reinforcing about, we need to engage more people. There are no dumb questions, that perspective and that angle is not what we see. Maybe we're not looking at it correctly. We learned this from this or that, you know, I think, I think that, I mean, there's just, there's just a lot of good in that. Yeah. You know, and it's very good energy. Right. One of the things you'll feel when you're here, and I know you feel it this week is, People are so glad to be together. They're talking about good things, right? It makes them feel stronger, right?
1: Yeah, you can tell they've missed it, too. Right.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we did miss it. Yeah. I mean, we're we're so much better when we can be together, especially when there's a challenge. Right. Because if it was obvious, you'd be doing it. Right. Right? (laughs) Right? It's not. Yeah. Right? Yeah.
1: So... You know, a lot of what is being traded around here is older, but with that in mind, like what we just said, like the importance of nurturing young carvers, what do you think that is for in this kind of situation?
2: Well, let me let me tell you a story now because I think this story is it'll go back to when we started this discussion. When I was twelve, I was out with my grandfather and we were hunting, and it was the very first time. I, and then the, the next week, my grandfather took me out. We snuck through the woods, and we went to this place, and it was by the celery beds or where the river was, and it, it was a little sort of an opening by the trees. And we were there for a couple of hours, and I, I kept saying to my grandfather, said, what are we doing? He says, shh, be quiet, be quiet, just watch, just watch. And so we're there, and we're watching, and. We're watching, and all of a sudden, this, this flock of eight canvas packs came. There were five drakes and three hens, and they came zooming right along, and they came right along the celery beds, and they came right into this little opening by the trees, by the edge, and they landed right there, and they immediately went to sleep. And I, I, I thought that my grandpa said, we never hunt here. They always come to this spot because they know it's safe, They go to sleep right away because it's been a long trip from Canada and they're here because they know there's food and they need to rest. And I was just, I was like in awe because it was like, how did they know to do that? Right. It was windy, right? And then they they were flying together and they came and they knew exactly where they're going and they got there and they knew it was safe and they went to sleep. They stuck, they turned their heads back. So I told that story... To Cameron McIntyre.
1: Okay? And just so that the audience know he's we've interviewed him before, so go back and, and yeah, listen.
2: Yeah, and and, and I, I know you've heard from Cameron, and you know, Cameron has the spirit of the duck in him because he spent okay. a lot of time in the marsh and he knows how to do. So Cameron took a a tool from the 1800s from England, a spokeshave, and he took a single piece of wood. And he carved these sleeping canvas backs that totally captured that moment. And now it's preserved.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful.
2: And Cameron, I mean, that, that what he was able to do just immediately captured that experience. And he had seen it happen one time in his marsh where a hen canvas back came and landed and went to sleep. And he didn't understand why. And so when we were talking, I said to Cameron, I learned from my grandpa a long time ago. They knew that was a safe place. They'd been on a long trip. They needed a place to sort of rest and restore, and and they understood that was their place in nature and where they should be. Yeah, I mean they remember. Yeah. They... So Cameron captured that, and 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 I have those in my in my hunting rig. There's there's a pair of them, and the, the hen has her nose under the feather, and the and it, they're all one piece and they're carved, but they're but when you look at them you can see all of that yeah right right and so the magic is here's somebody who has a talent who can interpret our world into something that survives yeah and it's 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 a, it's a thing when anybody who looks at it can see the canvas back is the king of the marsh these cans are resting in a place of peace you know they're on the water. They float. You know, I mean, they mean—they look beautiful, but they're—it's it, clear that they're all in balance, and and they knew what they were doing, and that's what allows them to survive. And so Cameron got all that in this carving, you know. And when you see it, instantly you can see it. I'll show you pictures of it, and I'll even give you some if you want to use because the, you know they—they're—they're they're, they're wonderful creations. And the, the, I tell that story to my grandkids. And they see them and we go to the marsh and I don't know if they'll ever see the canvas specs do it, but they understand the story. They have the memory. They understand the canvas back and what it was doing and why it was doing that. And so there's a lot of learning in all that.
1: Yeah, and it gives them that connection. That connection, yeah, that it's hard to describe. I mean, Cameron and I, in our interview, we talked about that connection a lot and that it's kind of just a feeling. It's not really something you can describe, but to pass that connection down to the next generation is so
2: important and so that was and that was one of the things that when i would go flying was so impressive to me is i'd be up there in the air flying around and these ducks are up there going where they i mean i needed a lot of help to figure out where to go but they knew where to go
1: yeah that's a lucky perspective they, get they to have, knew where yeah. to go and
2: i'd be up there with them and they'd be flying around somebody going this out that, that way but they knew exactly where they were going i could see them up above the clouds and they knew where to go and they didn't have instruments They didn't have everybody talking to them instinctively they knew what to do yeah. You know, and so so we could we can learn a lot from that. Yeah, We can learn a lot from
1: well, that. Well, that's a really, I have, I'll ask you one follow-up question, but that's a really good place to kind of end. But before we go, I just want to like, is there anything that you would like to add that we haven't talked about, about the show and the Decoy's Collector Association that's important that our listeners know about before we sign
2: yeah, 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 yeah. I, th- I think, I think, I think here's, here's what I think. We're, we're all different. You know, our fingerprints are different. Our irises are different. Our voices are different. Our immune systems are different. We all have sort of unique talent in the world. And that different perspective allows, causes each of us to see things a little bit differently. And we see that in our organization. And... If you can learn to listen and recognize that other people see something a little bit differently than you do, and there's a reason, and you won't understand it because they're different, there's a lot to learn. And we see, I see that when we get together. There's just a lot for us to learn that will allow us to make the world better. I mean, it does. You know, because we could see our organization, the energy builds. People look forward to it all year long. They meet people they never would have had a chance to meet. They learn more about the country. They learn more about our history. They learn about what's going on in business, how people are adapting to COVID, all these sort of things. There's, It's just irreplaceable to be together and to learn from each other.
1: Yes, I think sometimes we forget in this time that we are a social animal, and we need to not just be on screens, but physically in front of each other, which is really nice about this, because I haven't got to do an in-person interview in forever, and it makes such a difference.
2: Well, and think about it. Just think about the ducks for a few minutes. They don't travel alone.
1: No, never.
2: They don't. <laughs> they know better. Yeah. Right? They need their community, Right. They learn right. from each other. Yeah. They're paying attention to each other. They they're flying information. They're they know where to go and feed. If they land someplace and there's no food, they're not staying. Right. Right? They're on a move. Yep. Right. And they know they know because they pass down their knowledge. Right. I think I think there's a great opportunity for us. If we could if we can listen and relax a little bit and have a little better balance, I think we can do I think we can do great things. Well,
1: thank you so much. This was really fun. Thanks again to our guest, Rick Sandstrom, for coming on the show and taking the time to talk with me. And always thanks to our producer, Chris Isaac, and thanks to you, our listeners, for supporting wetlands conservation.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit org/dupodcast for resources based on today's topics as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport.